0: morning, church. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have a Bible, I invite you to turn in it to Galatians chapter 5. That's where we are right now in this letter from the Apostle Paul to the early church. Um, picking up from two weeks ago, Paul was talking about introducing the uh, concept of walking by the spirit. Contrary to what people were saying in that day, life transformation didn't come from adding more law to your life. It came by receiving the Holy Spirit by whom we have the power to put to death, sin, and walk with God. And so that is the topic that he's been on. And we're going to pick up on that theme again today. So our text is Galatians 5, 19 to 25. And we're going to read verse 16 first just to connect it to the flow of thought um, previous to that. So, would you follow with me as I read from Galatians 5, verses 16 and then beyond? But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Verse 19. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, this imagery of walking with the Spirit, keeping in step, we ask you to help us to do it to know what it means, to see the beauty of what you have for us as we do it. There are lists here that we both know about and also want to have in our lives. Some things we don't want, some things we do want. But how do we, how do we enter into the beautiful life that you want for us? We ask you to show that to us again. Lift up our eyes to all that Jesus has purchased for us in his death and resurrection. We ask it in his name. Amen. Well, like many of you, I've been following the developments in the Middle East between Israel and Hamas. So it all started with atrocities that were committed by Hamas on people, citizens in Israel. And I didn't watch the footage or anything like that. It doesn't, it's not good for my soul, but it was atrocities. Well, then, in retaliation, Israel has declared full-on war against Hamas, and their goal is to destroy them uh, completely. And as that plays out, there's this ever-present fear of the conflict widening and involving other nations. Now, regardless of how you feel about the politics of all of that, I think everyone can agree, this is not the kind of world that we want. We don't want to live in a world where we have to read about that or know about that or or have that actually happen anywhere. But that is the world that we have, isn't it? We have a world that's full of conflict. So why is that? Why do we have the conflict in the Middle East? Why also Ukraine and Russia? And on a smaller scale, why the conflict between you and another person? Why the divisions and the disunity that exist within families, within churches, within communities? Why the constant stream of bad news about what's going on around us? Well, our passage reveals the answer to those questions, but more than that, it reveals the beautiful alternative that Jesus is bringing into the world one person at a time by the Spirit. We have two lists in the passage. One describes the world we have and the other one describes the beautiful alternative. The first list is called the works of the flesh. It includes enmity, strife, fits of anger. On a large scale, that's the war between Israel and Hamas, Ukraine and Russia. On a smaller scale, It's the arguments in your home and in your workplace. And there is much more that's described here in that list as well. This is the world we have. And verse 19 says it's evident. You don't have to look too hard to find this. It's all around us. The other list is called the fruit of the Spirit. It includes love, joy, peace, and other virtues on a large scale. This is what the entire world will be like when Jesus returns and renews all things. It will be a world at peace. It will be a world of love. On a smaller scale, it's happening right now in the hearts of everyone who puts their trust in Christ for salvation. It's happening in churches that truly follow him. Verse 24 associates this list with those who belong to Christ Jesus. That's who's going to enjoy these fruits. And in our passage this morning, the Lord sets before us an invitation. He invites us to partake of the beautiful world to come, even as we live in the broken world that we have right now. And the key to doing that is to walk by the Spirit. So let's see how Paul explains this. We're going to start with an observation that was also made previously in the last message. I'll state it this way. What influences you determines what you do. What influences you determines what you do. In verse 16, he says, Walk by the Spirit, and you will not desire, not gratify the desires of the flesh. And then we read the lists in verses 19 to 23. One list is works of the flesh. The other is the fruit of the Spirit. So the connection is this. These two lists are what you get when you either gratify the desires of the flesh or you walk by the Spirit you get on one list or the other, depending on where your influence is. If you gratify the desires of the flesh, you get the works of the flesh, like immorality, jealousy, rivalries, these things that are bad. If you walk by the Spirit, you get the fruit of the Spirit, like joy, patience, goodness, things that are good. We learned earlier the flesh is shorthand for describing that part of you that doesn't want to do what God wants. That residual habit and desire for sin that you still have, even after you put your faith in Christ. And when you give in to those desires, you get the first list of the bad works. But when you walk by the Spirit, when you're influenced by Him, you get the second list of the good fruit. So what influences you, whether that's the flesh or the Spirit, determines what you're like and what you'll do. That's the principle. And that explains both the world that we have and the one that Jesus is bringing into the world. Whenever you hear the next bad news about some conflict or crime or wickedness, you can be sure that it is the result of gratifying the desires of the flesh that's where it comes from but the lord invites us to walk a different way a transformed way that is a foretaste of the world to come it's to walk under the influence of the spirit of god so let's talk about these two lists and what we can learn from them and the first list is the works of the flesh and here's what those are again from verses 19 to 21 the works of the flesh are evident Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. That's the description of the world we have. And we can't say it's just happening out there somewhere in the world because we're all tempted in these things, even as believers, as long as we live in this fallen world, as long as we are not fully renewed. But let's make some observations about what this list tells us. And, and just as a heads up, it is not that pleasant to walk through these, these works of the flesh. <laughs> like even as I was reading them, you're like, oh no, do we have to go through this? Uh, at least I, I was feeling that way. Um, but we have, to, we have to see and feel the unpleasantness here in order to love the alternative even more, the fruit of the spirit list. So we have to walk through this a little bit. Not all 15, but we will talk about it. What do we learn about the works of the flesh? First of all, it's not an exhaustive list of what happens if you gratify your desires because Paul ends the list with and things like these. So, so here's a list of 15, dot, 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 to be continued. There's more out there. Um, but these are the ones that are evident. You don't need to look too hard to find these. Certainly not in the original Roman culture and also not in American culture or world culture. We can break down into three main categories These overlap, they're not hard and fast, but they give us an idea of the spectrum. I'd call the first category sins against one's own body. Sins against your own body starts with sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. It ends with drunkenness and orgies or uninhibited partying. So this is about unrestrained self-indulgence, particularly sexual sins and the environments that promote them. And we don't have to use our imaginations to know what that's talking about. I entered the University of Wisconsin as a farm boy before the age of the Internet. And so I was largely sheltered from all the things going on in the world. And I went to Madison, which was an enormous university, and it had a reputation as a party school. And Halloween, in particular, was a night of unrestrained revelry. People were imported in to join the, the mob. Well, I, as, as a freshman, I made the mistake of going down to State Street where all the action was happening. And if I could use the words of Paul from a different context, I heard and saw things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. Welcome to the real world, farm boy. You know, that's, that's what it was like. When you gratify the desires of the flesh, you get unrestrained (laughs) self-indulgence. And one of the most powerful desires to be indulged is the sexual desire. Anything and everything goes if it would satisfy your appetite. And scripture says when you do that, when you do anything sexual outside of the covenant of marriage between a man and a woman, that is actually a sin against your own body. 1 Corinthians 6.18, Paul says, Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. I read an essay recently that confirms this to be true. Uh, The essay said that the fourth most visited website on the Internet is a, a porn distributor. So probably after Amazon and Google... And something else, number one in website on the internet is, is, is a porn website. And the article goes on to say it, it, has, one, it has 10 billion hits to date. He went on to explain the, the damage that porn is causing to people and to society. It's altering brain chemistry. It is decreasing enjoyment of the real thing. And it's increasing violence against women. The sexually immoral person sins against his own body. This is one of those counterintuitive realities of life that we learn from Scripture. It's that when we gratify the sinful desires of the flesh, we actually sin against ourselves. What seems like it will give us pleasure actually ends up harming us when it's not God's way. That's one category, sins against your own body. Here's another one, it's sins against God. And in reality, all sins are sins against God, even sexual sins. King David, after his adultery, said, Against you, you only, God, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. That's from Psalm 51. But this list contains works that are violations of the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. They're violations of where our worship goes, and it doesn't go to the Lord. Verse 20 says, idolatry, sorcery. That's about what we worship, what we serve, what we look to for life. That's what idolatry is. Sorcery is about appealing to whatever deity or powers that be uh, to bring a curse upon somebody, to destroy your enemies, things like that. It was not hard to see that in the first century because this is the Roman Empire, pagan, lots of idols, lots of statues all around, temples, places to offer your offerings to Zeus or whoever. It's all over the place in the Roman Empire, so it was really easy for them to think of it. Today, we don't have the architecture, but we do have the temptation to give something else our worship besides God who has revealed himself to us in the person of Jesus Christ. What you're spending your money on, what you're thinking about constantly, what you build your schedule around, what you feel like you can't live without, those things reveal what is your functional God, the one you actually serve. Whether it's money or family or health or safety or something else, if it has that kind of influence on you, It's because you're gratifying the desires of the flesh. But Psalm 16 reminds us of where the road leads, that road. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. But the Lord's presence, in His presence, is fullness of joy. We'll come back to the joy later. Here's the last category in this list of works of the flesh. It sins against others. This is more than half of it. This is 15 things in the list. I think there's eight here. Um, It's enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy. This tells us a, a lot. First of all, it gives us perspective about what we might think of as small sins, we read jealousy and envy for example and that might seem to us to be like normal stuff right i mean who doesn't from time to time crave what somebody else has surely that's not such a terrible thing Um, it might even be encouraged in fact advertisers um, expect that envy will be one of the reasons you will buy a product when we see somebody really happy in their new vehicle Uh, They're like, wow, I want that. Like, they're counting on envy to to be part of why you buy things. It's encouraged. But think about the company that these sins keep, jealousy and envy. They're listed in the same breath as sorcery and idolatry. They're cut from the same cloth. You think witchcraft is bad. Well, so is your envy and mine. This isn't just 15 things that you shouldn't do, it's 15 things that are related. All of them are what you get when the flesh wins the day in your heart. All of them underlie the problems that we have in the world today. We can't give our sins a pass and think that we're better than someone who's clearly sexually immoral, but we're only envious. No, no. These things are cut from the same cloth. We need a Savior in our envy as much as somebody else who's a very obvious sexual sinner. We're the same. We can't say, oh, you, how can you do that? Well, how can we be what we are? We all need the same Savior for the same reasons. The other thing to notice about this list is the community aspect of it. Pretty much... All of these works of the flesh in the middle here have to do with how people harm each other. Um, how, we don't, how we break the commandment to love our neighbor. So you see, enmity, strife, rivalries, dissensions, divisions. When we gratify the sinful desires of the flesh, the result is we can't live in harmony with one another. We can't get along. We don't want to work things out. We want to fight to get what we want. On a global level, that's why we have the conflict in Israel and Gaza, Ukraine and Russia, and every other conflict between nations in the history of the world. On a local level, it's why we need marriage counseling. It's why we have a court system. It's why we have church splits and a house of representatives that can't figure out whose speaker should be. It comes down to gratifying the desires of the flesh, which leads to dissensions, divisions. Why can't we get along? Why is unity in a, in a community so hard to attain? It's because gratifying the desires of the flesh eventually blows up community. <laughs> community can't last as long as every person is going after what they want. If we all do what's right in our own eyes, everything falls apart. It's only possible to have community when we all yield to what God wants, which is on the second list, (laughs) and we'll come to that. But the first list shows us it doesn't work to try to live without God. It's not good advice to just follow your heart or you do you, because what if me doing me conflicts with you doing you, and it's going to. Because I've got my desires, you've got your desires. And if we're all gratifying them, we are not gonna, we're not going to butt heads. But if we're all submitted to the same God, there's a chance. <laughs> and I think we're going to see that it will happen. And actually, this, the consequences of this first list are worse than just strife and community harm. There are also eternal consequences here. Because the end of verse 21 says... Those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. In other words, if this list of works of flesh describes your settled way of life, if you're comfortable being in that list, you will have no part in the kingdom that Jesus came to bring. You won't participate in the renewed world to come. And if that list describes you, you're not forgiven of your sins, you're not going to heaven, and your gratified gratified desires will lead you to eternal death. That's the real serious problem with this list. Bottom line, there's no hope in gratifying the desires of the flesh. It might feel good in the moment, but it only leads to damage, and in the end, it betrays you. What we need is an alternative What we need is to walk by the Spirit, to place ourselves under the influence of God the Spirit who leads us into a beautiful way, into the way that leads to life. And that's the the description we find in the next list, the one that's the fruit of the Spirit. It's a beautiful list. It's stuff that you look at it right away and you say, I want that. So let's look at the, the list. The fruit of the Spirit, it's in verses 22 to 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now, you don't need to be a Bible scholar to see the goodness of these virtues over the vices in the previous list. Which would you rather have, strife and dissension or peace? right? Uh, Would you rather have fits of anger or patience? You know, like it's a no-brainer, right? This is a list of what most people are looking for, what we would love to have in our lives, what we would love to have in a community that we're a part of. In fact, it's part, excuse me, it's part of what it means that against such things there is no law. Even in our fallen culture, there's no law against kindness, or self-control. Right? Because those aren't problems to solve. Those are virtues that prevent the problems. There's no law against that. But Paul is also making reference to God's law here. There's no law of scripture against these qualities because if these things are operational in your life, you will keep God's law gladly. You are under the influence of the Spirit if these virtues are there. And if you're under the influence of the Spirit, you don't need threats or consequences or punishment to make you do the right things. You just want to. You just will. The Spirit of God is changing you from within, something the law can't do. So let's look at this list, a couple of things to notice in general. It's not the works of the Spirit, it's the fruit of the Spirit. That says something about the nature of this list. Fruit is the natural expected product of a growing thing. It speaks about something healthy, something life-giving, something good to look at, attractive. And when we read this list, we we see the attractiveness of it in contrast with the list of works of the flesh. This is is the good stuff. That's one observation. The second thing to notice is the fruit of the Spirit. That tells us the Spirit of God is doing this in us, creating these attractive, healthy virtues in a person. We saw back in chapter 4 that God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. That was Galatians 4.4. 4. That means the Spirit is shaping us into the likeness of Christ, who in the garden cried out to His Father, Abba, Father. So the Spirit is shaping us into the image of Christ. He, he is making us do the same thing Jesus did. And so this list is actually a list of what it looks like to become more like Jesus. That's what the Spirit is interested in doing, making us copies of Him that show the glory of the original, and He's having this influence on us. That's what the Spirit's doing, changing us, transforming us, making things grow that are beautiful, life-giving, healthy. Let's look at the virtues in the list. It's not exhaustive, again, like the first list. There are other such things that could be named, but these nine are a pretty good start. <laughs> I mean, if you had all of this going on, man, you know, I want to be your friend. <laughs> well, just look at three of them. This is what you can expect to grow in if you walk by the Spirit. The first is love. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Now, love is a word that gets used a lot. What does it really mean? Is it great pleasure in something? As in, you know, I really love that song we just sang. Is it strong affection for someone, even sexual desire? Well, those would be the most common meanings given to the word in our cultural conversation. They're not wrong, but that doesn't fully explain the love that's in mind here because you can have those other kinds of love without any kind of faith in God. But this is love that grows in the life of someone who is walking by the Spirit of God. So what kind of love is it then that the Spirit makes grow in your heart? Well, it's the love that comes from God, who is love. If the Spirit of God is in us, we're going to start to take on that attribute of God, which is love. And we know what kind of love it is, because 1 John 4, 9 tells us, the apostle wrote, "...in this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world." so that we might live through him. The love of God was made manifest. That means it was revealed. It was made clear. This is what it's like. This is what love is, world. And so how did God show that to us? How did he manifest it? He sent his son into the world that we might live through him. God's love is a kind of love that would send Jesus to the cross to die for our sins, to take the punishment for our wrongdoing, for all who trust in Him. We will live through faith in this Savior that God has provided for us, who hung on a cross and died in our place and for our sin. We will live even to eternal life. That's the kind of love that is the fruit of the Spirit of God. To love like God does is to be willing to make sacrifices for the good of other people so that they can live, so that they can encounter something of the grace and mercy of our great God and Creator, especially to, to walk them a little bit closer to or point to the person who hung on the cross to give us real life. That's what our love will be like. That's what the Spirit produces in His people. And so that's what believers do for their kids. Not only providing for them food and shelter and clothing and all the things that everybody else is doing, but also providing them instruction in the Lord, pointing them to Christ. It's what you do for the church when you help create a context like this where we can hear from God's word, where we can fellowship with one another and encourage each other in the faith. It's all that serving that you do. It's what the children's ministry people are doing right now. That's love. It's what you do in your prayers when you're lifting up people to God and you're asking, would you bless them? Would you bring them relief? Uh, that kind of thing. They're, that's love in action. It's what you do with your coworkers and your, your neighbors and your extended family. When you take an interest in them, you show hospitality. You do good to them and you walk them just a little bit closer towards the one who can save them. That is love. That is the fruit of the Spirit. That kind of love. And that's going to grow in you as a believer. It won't be perfect. It's not instantaneous. It's often trajectory. It's a lifetime of growth. But it grows. It will grow. That's the very first fruit in the first one in the, the list, and it's probably because it's foundational for the rest. It comes from the very attributes of God himself. Here's another fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is joy. Joy. That's another word we use a lot, especially in Christian circles. But what does it mean? Uh, is joy the same thing as happiness? I was listening to a message by Alistair Begg Who is this pastor in Cleveland, Ohio? I'm saying Ted's not. He's a Scottish guy uh, from Glasgow. And so he's got this amazing accent, and you just want to listen to him all day long. And he's a great Bible teacher. But anyway, he was at some conference, and there was a breakout session where he was talking to discouraged pastors. I was listening for a friend, just want you to know. And somebody asked him the question, one of the pastors, there was a Q&A after it, one of, the, one of the pastors asked, what's the difference between joy and happiness? And his answer, I think, really helped me clarify things. He said this, happiness depends on what happens, but joy is deeper and comes from another place. In other words, happiness fluctuates depending on whether good things or bad things happen. One day you're happy, the next day you're unhappy. But joy is a kind of gladness that is steadier because it doesn't depend on immediate circumstances. It has roots in something that's not touched by what is going on right now. And since we're talking about the fruit of the Spirit, this joy has its roots in trusting all that God has given us in Christ. For example, Peter's first letter was written to churches who were going through trials and persecution. But he said this in 1 Peter 1.8, Though you do not now see him, that is Christ, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. So here's what that means. They're going through trials. Life is not great circumstantially but they have joy in a Savior that they can't see. It is inexpressible joy. It's hard to put into words, but it's real. It's a contentment. It's a gladness. It's a sense that it is well with my soul, even though life is hard, because they realize they have an inheritance that is reserved in heaven for them. They have a a salvation that is being guarded ready to be revealed at the last time, things that he said in that same letter. They, they know these things, and there's this deep, settled rootedness that I'm okay. God is with me. My future is good, even though it's cluttered with trials. That's where joy comes from. That's where the joy of the Spirit comes from. And it will grow in you if you walk by the spirit chaos can be going all around you and there's no sign of the Lord anywhere but because you believe in Christ because you trust in him and all that he purchased for you on the cross your mind can be settled you can sleep at night It's a contentment that doesn't depend on what has what is happening but what has already happened which is the cross and the resurrection That's the fruit of the Spirit, which is joy. I'll mention one more virtue in the list. The fruit of the Spirit is self-control. Self-control. One definition says it's the restraint of one's emotions, impulses, or desires. So it's what an athlete has to have if they're training. They know if they want to perform at a high level, they can't just do whatever they want. Um, they have to make choices and stick to them about diet, about sleep, about routines, and all the rest. Simone Biles did not win like 30 gold medals by eating McDonald's burgers and sitting on the couch all day and waking up at 2, 8, 2 p.m. You know? She had to discipline herself. She had to have self-control to be able to do that. Like love and joy, self-control is on one level something that anyone could have, even if they have no faith in God. But the fruit of the Spirit is the ability to restrain your sinful desires of the flesh and say yes to the will of God. You say no to sins against your own body and sins against God and sins against others. That's the real self-control of the Spirit. And you do have that ability if you have the Spirit of God. If you are under His influence. Because this self-control is possible because of the reality of verse 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. That means when Jesus was crucified on the cross, when He atoned for your sins, He purchased also the crucifixion of your flesh. The, The death, to the person that you were before you knew Christ, before you had the Spirit. Now he's placed the Spirit within you when you believed, and that Spirit empowers you to say no. That Spirit will bring you away from all that stuff in list one and produce in you list two. You're no longer under the ruling power of sinful desires if you're a Christian. You're not under the condemnation for the sins that you even now give into. You have the Spirit, and He's taking you from one degree of glory to another. Walking by the Spirit produces self control. So you can say no to immorality, to road rage, you can say no to needing to win an argument. You can say no to envying what other people have and so much more. And you can get along with people so much as it depends on you and it doesn't all depend on you. But from your side, you can get along with people. You can, you can have community. You can have faithfulness to a spouse. You can be at peace. You can have a community that's marked by love and joy and goodness. When you walk by the Spirit, you can have these things. All the bad works of the first list get replaced with the good fruit of the second list. It's not instantaneous. It's a trajectory. But Jesus is bringing this into the world. He's bringing it into you. as You yield to His loving change by His Spirit. He's creating in churches these beautiful foretastes of the world to come. Even now as we live in this world of woe. Does that second list sound good to you? Do you want more of that in your life? Do you want to be that for somebody else? Do you want to be the change that you want to see? I don't know if that's a great quote or not, but like, Okay, rooted in the Scripture, there's some, there's some truth there, but do you want to have influence? Do you want to introduce the world to something that's real, that's genuine hope, that's not some campaign promise or whatever? Do you want the real thing, and do you want to share the real thing? Well, then, walk by the Spirit, and these things will grow in you, and you'll be attractive. What you have is attractive because it comes from God the Spirit in you. And that's how I want to close. <clears throat> Paul started this, let, this section in 16, walk by the Spirit, you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. He closes it with verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, and we do as believers, let us also walk by the Spirit or keep in step with the Spirit. tells us what we can do to see this fruit happen you're keeping in step with the spirit is another way of saying walk by the spirit it's like he's leading you're following in his footsteps he's taking you somewhere your part is to walk behind (laughs) to to yield to be in the flow to to be where the spirit is and we talked about what the spirit is doing what does it look like to walk by the spirit from before it just means practicing all the spiritual disciplines we put ourselves in the flow of god's grace to us and so what does that look like it's reading the scriptures meditating on it getting enamored with the person of jesus christ and the glory of god all that he's given to us through the cross we're in the word and we're in prayer regularly talking to Him, pouring out our heart before Him, giving Him our requ- our requests, that's the flow of the Spirit. That's how we that's how we walk by the Spirit and are influenced by Him. Where it's fellowshiping in the church, is that each one of us is 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 giving a word here, an instruction there, a, a counsel, a prayer, all all based on what we know from Christ. That's that's where we're walking by the Spirit, and it's participating in the mission. To bring the hope of Christ to others in good works and in our witness. You know, being involved and the Spirit meets us in our moment where we're like struggling to make a difference in the world. We we he, he's there. We're gonna grow as we walk by the Spirit. And as we're doing that individually and community, uh, in community, the the world of heaven is breaking in right now in, in you, in individuals and in the church god's changing us god's building his community one heart at a time he's making the church a picture of the world to come and that's an exciting thing to be a part of i mean stuff that's going in the world it seems like it's huge it's it's life changing world changing but you know what god is doing about that he's doing this he's building this because this is the change that he's going to bring to the entire world when Jesus comes back and gathers all of his people and eliminates all that's wrong. So what we do here matters. What you're doing in your discipleship groups matters. What you're doing in your room at home reading the scripture matters because it's bringing this fruit into the world. May God help us to do more of it. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are doing something amazing. It doesn't look amazing to the world what we're doing right here or a person sitting there with their Bible open and praying or talking to a friend. It seems so small, but it's a foretaste of the life to come. Would you produce in us more and more these fruits, this fruit of the Spirit? We know that you're doing it. I know you intend to do it. Thank you, Lord, for your great... Purposes for us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.